Preachers like to jump up in the audience, and uh, I'm really happy to be here and tell you a joke or two or whatever. I like doing all that stuff, too, and I plan to, and then I can only imagine. And the verse that entered my head, I'm not really sure, it, it means exactly that, but we've taken it a lot of times. It said, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Well, last year your theme was raised for greatness, and you are, and you did, and you're doing some wonderful things. Got that building about ready to start and going to fill it and putting your money where our future is with our youth and with our families, trying to become the best friend this community has uh, ever had. That's what we want to be, and that's what we want to do to the glory of God. And when I had the honor of being invited back here to kind of launch off the theme, we all bowed down. I thought, good gracious. I'm, uh, do not say amen at the wrong time here. I'm an old man. Do not say amen at the wrong time here. Been around the brotherhood a lot. Seen a lot of things. And just recently, I came up with a series because I travel everywhere. And the series, Things That Really Matter. We spend as individuals so much time on things that don't matter. Wakey, wakey in your life. Look back on 2005 and how much money and how much time and how much effort into things that really don't matter at all. And then the crime of all crimes is that it happens in the church. And we're all busy. We are so busy. We Americans are. We can't stand a moment of silence. That's why when you stick a microphone in front of somebody and say, say some words, they go, they're scared to death because they're afraid there'll be a moment of silence. And we probably need a lot more. But over in Philippians chapter 1, and this isn't in my notes at all. I'm just full, all right? This is free and the rest starts after 9.30. So anyway, what (laughs) Paul was in jail. And they came to him whining about some young guys that were saying it's his own fault he's in jail. And they said to Paul, you know, as they fed him the Church of Christ casseroles, you know, that they brought to him. And they said, you know, there's some guys that preach and their motives are not right. And we need to get them out of the pulpit. And Paul said with a smile, no doubt a smile. He said, I know that some people preach to Christ with wrong motives. But what? Does it matter? The important thing is. And there followed that Christ is preached. And I thought as I travel over the world, coast to coast in the United States and several foreign mission trips every year, why do churches waste so much time about things that are really not important? And why do we get off on issues in the church of our Lord? About so many trivial things when Jesus died on the cross to save lost humanity to Jesus. And we spin our wheels with all of these things. So the very first, I came up with four lessons. And the very first one I called was was, uh, accepting the sovereignty of a mighty and almighty God. That's what we're talking about this morning. That's where we're leading around to. 
The second one, just for information's sake, was honor and respect for the Word of God. And the third one was the church as Jesus wanted it to be. And that was a doctrinal thing about the structure of the church. That's what did he want this thing to become in the world? And the fourth one was, it was kind of a surprise to me, the joy of our salvation. See, the world needs to know three things. What do we have that they don't have? And number two, how to show it. And number three, how to share it. So I was really pleased when Daryl said our, our theme is we all bow down. And it reminded me immediately of a scene in uh, Washington, D.C., five, six, seven years ago, when a million of us men, some of you were there at the great Promise Keepers rally. And again, brethren, some brethren whined about it. Y'all going? You're going to protect? Or you compromise? And all that stuff. That is nothing but stuff. Because the Bible says, be ready unto every good work. And here was a man, an organization, calling a million men to stand before the White House and confess their sins and fall on their faces and say to God, we have failed miserably as men and we are vowing to you that we're going to be the spiritual leaders that our families and our nation and our God deserves us to be. The the uh, event was called Stand in the Gap. And that's where, it wasn't the first time I heard these verses, but the first time they really impacted in my mind, these verses from Ezekiel. Chapter 44, beginning in verse 1, because I want you to see how holy men and women of old felt about God. Then the man of God, then the man brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, the one facing east. And it was shut. And the Lord said to me, this gate is to remain shut. It must not be opened and no one may enter through it. It is to remain shut because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered through it. The prince himself is the only one who may sit inside the gateway to eat in the presence of the Lord. He is to enter by way of the portico of the gateway and go out the same way. Listen to this now. And the man brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the temple. And I looked and saw the glory of the Lord filling the temple. And I fell face down. Two things about that last verse. I saw the glory of the Lord fill his temple. That's fact. And I fell face down. That's attitude. That's a decision. And I feel like maybe we've lost something in the ensuing thousand years, thousands of years, since Ezekiel had that awe-inspiring experience before God. And when one realizes that we have an almighty God like Abraham, that's my favorite verse about God, is Genesis 17, verse 1, where God says to Abraham, Abraham, yes, I am the almighty. 
I mean, I love all the words that describe God. But I am the Almighty. And there was always this change of the beating of the heart. And change of the body position. And change of attitude. And everything was pushed aside. Different maybe than when we come to church on Sunday morning. And all they could see was God Almighty. It was 600 years before Christ that this was written. But that's the way holy men of God and holy women of God have felt about God through the ages. I have a quote, Jack Reese from Abilene Christian University, a few years ago was speaking on the Jubilee workshop in Nashville, Tennessee. And this is a quote about worship because you know, we get together and talk about how many can we have in a praise team and can they have microphones and can, come on! So he wrote, It is imperative before a church decides to make changes in its corporate worship that the body of believers know why it worships God in the first place. Worship is not primarily aesthetically or horizontally focused. Rather, its main purpose is to offer adoration and praise to God. And draw its worshiper into the divine presence. If you people, the way you tell whether Dick and Daryl do a good job, is not did it get us out into the cafeteria before the Baptists, or were all the points and the PowerPoint and all of this together, was did they get us there? And, and you can't blame them if they're trying to get us there. That's their aim and their job. But you see, then it is you. Because your purpose in coming here this morning is to bow down. And I can, ima- I can only imagine a year in the colony church where all year long with everything you do, you're keeping in mind that our purpose is to draw into the presence of a mighty God and bow down before His throne. Some of you are hand raisers and some of you are not. And some of you are knee bowers and some of you are not. And some of you say praise the Lord and some of you are not. And that's not important at all. What is important is that you personally, along with the help of all of God's people in this place, draw near to God. And that God knows when you leave this building this morning, you have been in His presence. And you have bowed before His awesomeness. See, we come to church in a lot of different ways today. I'll give you a few of those. I'm indebted to my good friend Jack Exum that talked about 8-track worship. And many of you cannot even remember 8-tracks. We'll have to say DVDs popping them in the computer. But one of them is entitled Showtime. And we come into church and we pop it in because showtime, you know, it means I've come expecting an exciting performance. And if I get it, I feel really great. I'm going back next Sunday. And if I don't, I'm all let down. And God is nowhere in the picture. It is, it is showtime. Other people pop in as they walk in the door. My way. One call. My way. Please me or else. I'm come here looking. I'll, I, I will give you the hour, but if you don't please me, I'll not be back, so you better work at it, and you better build me a Calvin Klein church, or I'm out of here. 
Some people pop in one. No, you don't. And they come worshiping, oh, how I love Jesus. But they're not saying, the words, oh, how I love Jesus, are lost in the fact that they're looking around to see if anybody there is going to do something I don't like doing. You do that and I'm gone. I'm out of here. No, you don't. Some come out of habit and that one of these is going to hit us. I mean, I'm going to find you this morning. You're not going to tell me which one you are, but you know who you are. One guy said, I call you ladies and gentlemen, you know what you are. But the other one is habit. And i got to confess to you, that one hits me because I was born on Sunday morning, made my mama miss church. She made me go to ladies' Bible class and every other thing in the church the rest of my life. And I'm still going. And every time the ladies meet, I have a tendency to want to be there because mama always put me there. It's habit. And I went, remind God, dear God, this is Marvin, and that's my five-year no-attendance-miss pin. But thank God, some of us come with the words of that song on our DVD. We place you on the highest place. Or maybe this year, and because of the songs you've sung, your purpose will be we all bow down. And you will just allow yourself. That's really all it takes. It isn't a skilled thing. It isn't, it isn't something difficult. But just allow yourselves as you walk in the door, and then it will transform out into your daily lives that my purpose in being here is to bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But it takes a personal encounter to bring awe. And that's what Ezekiel had in the Old Testament. Let me repeat that verse again. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. Hey, it's really not any different than this morning. The glory of God is filling this temple today. And Ezekiel said, when I realize that, there's only one thing to do. And that is to fall on my face. Back to that stand in the gap meeting in Washington, D.C. I remember the speaker saying, and there were a million of us there, Jumbotrons, big television screens for 200,000 people, then another one, and 250,000 people, and then another Jumbotron, and then on back, you know. And I remember the guy saying that was speaking there, you know, those of you that are able and willing, maybe you'd like to just get on your knees before God. And a million of us were bumping against each other as we went down on our knees. And then he said, while we were down there, touching men that we didn't even know, He said, you know, in Ezekiel 44, Ezekiel just felt such awe that he had to fall on his face before God. All of you that are able to do that and are willing, would you just like to get on your face before God? And I remember that we laid on each other. We were literally laying on each other. Now, more than the tourists, but I guess maybe it was that in me with my little video camera on my hip. I said to myself, Daryl, I have to have this. So I jumped up, you know, and I did a 360 round, put the thing down and got back on my face before the Lord. And it looks like a combat zone. With everybody dead, laying there prostrate before God. We all bow down. Now, if you're afraid that I'm going to ask you to do that this morning. I'll get your fears out of the way, but I'd like to.
I'd like to be in another meeting where we all, just because we know who God is, we just fall on our faces before God. In Revelation chapter 1, uh, John felt the same way. John, God uh, per- permitted John to see. This isn't a dream, see. This was a time machine. And John was projected into the presence of God. And let me, let me read you just a few things that he wrote. <clears throat> Revelation 1, beginning in verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. Now see, that voice is God. And now John is going to tell you what he looked like. Sometimes you say, uh, and, and who is that when the Bible said, let us, that's God. Well, that's plural. It's God and Jesus. Okay. And then we get it doctrinally right. But it does not sink in. And John let it sink into him because he gives you a description. I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was somebody like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing fire. And his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. So Ezekiel's feeling about God didn't end in the Old Testament. But it kept going. And wouldn't you like to see it? as a trajectory from Ezekiel 600 years before Christ to John 96 A.D. on into 2006 to the colony's church where the theme, we're all going to bow down and see that kind of reverence, not only in bodily posture, maybe minimally there, but maximally in our hearts and lives and everything that we do. He placed His right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. Jesus was always saying, Don't be afraid. Why are we so afraid? Why are we so fearful in a world where our God says, our almighty God says, don't be afraid because I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one and I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and hell. That's our God. Well, all the way through the Bible, they recognize this. Because let me just let my fingers walk here through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In John 6, when our Jesus fed 5,000 people with five little fish and two loaves, and the people said, what kind of man is this? And then Jesus walked on the water, and as they looked fearfully, they said, what kind of man is this? And Jesus stood in front of the tomb of his friend Lazarus who had been in that tomb four days that even the believers said, Lord, even if you get him out, he's been in there four days and he's gonna, it's going to be an awful thing. And he raised him out fresh as a daisy and the crowd cries out, What kind of man is this? And then they came to Jesus' own tomb with Pontius Pilate saying, Seal it! And make it as sure as you can. Put soldiers around it. Put a stone and seal it up. Because this imposter must not get out. And in three days the stone's gone and the Savior is risen and the world cries out. What kind of man is this? 
And on the day of Pentecost, the first day of the beginning of the church, the gospel was preached to people who found out why that tomb was empty and that they had personally nailed the Son of God to the cross and they get the good news, as Peter said, if you guys will repent and be baptized, you'll be forgiven of every sin and indwell with the Holy Spirit of God and added as saved people to the blood-bought church and they cried out 3,000 voice strong, what kind of man is this? We'll say it again when Jesus comes in His glory. I want to give you three quick scenes in the Bible. To my knowledge, there are only three times, at least in Scripture, where God spoke directly from heaven, audibly from heaven. First one of these was at the baptism of Jesus in Matthew 3. And I'd like to just look at these briefly because people got to, you got to see this. They were there and it was easy for them to bow down. And we've got to vicariously be there. And we've got to realize it's the same God and the same Jesus and read these things and let it, let it absorb into our very being to the core of our souls so that all during this year you're going to find it easier and easier and more wonderful and more wonderful and rewarding that you bow before the presence of God. Jesus came, this is Matthew 3 and verse 13. He came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. And John tried to prevent him, saying, Lord, I have need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. And Jesus said, no, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. So John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, can you picture this? And went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. What did that look like? And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I'm well pleased. Don't you know that none of them looked at his watch? Don't you know that none of them worried about any other issue large or small among the believers or the unbelievers. Because that was such an awesome scene to see. A few chapters later, chapter 17 of Matthew, beginning in verse 1, is another scene like that. Another time, the voice of God spoke audibly from heaven. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led him up into a high mountain by themselves. And there Jesus was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. And then there appeared before him Moses and Elijah out of the land of the dead, talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I, I like Mark's account there. It says, and Peter did not know what to say, so he said. I can really relate to that. You know, why did he say such a foolish thing? Because he didn't know what to say. And neither would you. It would have blurted out something fierce. The point was what he saw and what he heard. Lord, it's good to be here. We'll put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. I always wonder how he recognized them. Not Polaroid pictures, not digital disc. God's going to give you recognition. When you see Jesus, my brother and sister, you're going to know it's him. 
guys have done a lot of funerals lately, Dick. And I always say to the at the funeral of a Christian loved one, he has a great advantage over the rest of us. He knows what God looks like. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. You've got to visualize this. A voice from the cloud said, This is my Son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And it was the greatest advice ever given to the world, but it was spoken by an almighty God straight out of heaven, and they heard that voice, and they were amazed. And we need to have the same amazement in the church of our Lord today. One more time from the book of John, chapter 12. Jesus is about ready to leave this earth. He's praying because the cross is ahead of Him. He's seen all of you and He knows what all of us have done. And He's still willing to die, but it's going to hurt. And His humanity feels it. And He says, now my heart is troubled. John 12 and verse 27. And what will I say, Father? Shall I save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. You feel the anguish in the Son of God headed for the cross. And a voice came straight out of heaven and said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Well, what? how shall all of this affect us? What are we going to do with this? I just got today with you and I'd love to. I'd love to follow. I will follow your journey from afar. But I'd love to be with, with you in it personally. This year, as you learn all kinds of ways and all kinds of helps to really bow before God. <clears throat> and when we really bow, we're going to shine and the world is going to see and glorify God by what the colony's church does. But here's what this bowing down is going to do for you. Number one, it's going to give you a realization of God's presence among us that we have possibly not shared before. Not experienced before. Number two, it's going to motivate worship. You know, Daryl, all you can do to tell people, everybody sit up straight. Everybody now, get get your breathing from here and, and do this and do that. It isn't going to get you there. But seeing an almighty God and bowing on your face before Him will motivate worship, praise, and celebration. And thirdly, it will prompt obedience and commitment. And our challenge is that you allow an awesome God to transform your life and help you transform your community. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And if you'd like to respond to Jesus, beginning of the year, rededicate your life to the Lord, find ways to get involved, bow to Him that the one thing you're going to do is see His face more clearly and bow before Him more profoundly. If you've not begun your Christian walk and know that you ought to and know what to do, this invitation is for you. We'll be standing to sing. And you just, in the act of standing up, come on down front and give your heart and your life to Jesus and you will never regret it. If you'd like to respond, come right now while we stand and sing.